This time on No Not the Mind Probe, episode number 61, the story behind the story. <laughs> Welcome to No Not the Mind Probe. Pop, pop, pop. Yeah, a oh, little, little reference to the Sydney Newman. I love Ooh. that. Pop, 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 pop. Uh, I don't know if he actually said that, but we'll get to that. Um, but whether he did or not, irrespective <laughs> of that, <laughs> this is still a podcast uh, where we watch and rank every single Doctor Who story ever. My name is John Grant, and I'm a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I have been watching for 37 years. People. And my name is Porter Mason, and John's been asking me to watch Doctor Who for 25 years. A year or so ago, I finally said yes. Woohoo! Yes. Big day. Uh, each episode of this podcast, we'll look at. We don't know the exact day that I said yes to this. We'll have to, no, it's we'll true. Have to go we'll back never to emails know. and texts. That'll be lost. Well, when when the historians <laughs> dig yeah. up this podcast, and they dig up. <laughs> and they're like, my... why are there so many episodes? No one was listening to it. <laughs> well, they'll have to dig up my Apple ID password, and yeah. then they'll have to get into my messages. Archives. I imagine they'll, they've worked out how to do that by then. Well, each episode of the podcast, we look at two yeah. stories. We're yeah. going through the new Doctor Who series in order. New is such a relative turn. It is new. The episodes it new. of it that it's have been newer. made are new. So that's yes. true still. It is newer. And then our Doctor Who Sommelier, John, uh, who, whom you just met, mm. uh, pairs that with, and normally I say with a classic story. But this is more a story about a classics. Is, yeah. The classic series. This is a yeah. unique one. So tell us about what we have in store this episode. Well, first of all, um, no, uh, no big news uh, in the past couple weeks for the most part, <laughs> except, of course... Hmm. That I met Sylvester McCoy uh, <gasps> last weekend. Yes, can we get a uh, picture. We can put a picture up on the monitor here. I, I will. I will get a picture up on the website of me and Sylvester McCoy. I'm, I am two feet taller than him. So, uh, how many doctors is this now? This is number three. So, I met the second doctor when I was very young. I met uh, Peter Capaldi for a photo uh, about five or six. Which years ago. then that is on the website. Yes, and then now Sylvester McCoy. So, I've been able to update my phone lock screen. I only do most recent doctor pictures <laughs> on my phone lock screen, so it's now Sylvester McCoy. Very very charming. Did, did the Troughton picture make it to the lock screen? Because uh, no, no. In fact, I, I need to get the, the Troughton pictures are in an actual photo album in my mom's house. Like, I mean, they are, you know, like, mm. like you know, those old, like sticky backed photo albums that you're like, your oh, grandmother yeah. has on a shelf. Like, that's that's what we're talking about here. It was and a then long when you take time. it out of the album, it's going to rip. And yeah, so I have to leave it in the album, but I'll have to figure out some way to capture it. So, um, yes, but uh, um, so I met Sylvester McCoy. That's charming, cool. charming fellow. What Obviously, event was this at? This is an awesome concert. This is a sort of DC uh, Comic Con. Um, so I think struggling. So the big guests were him, um, uh, Anthony Daniels, C3PO was there, which is kind of cool. Sean Astin uh, from the oh. Hobbit fame and the Goonies and stuff was there. Um, a few other a few other folks and um, some folks from Star Trek Discovery and stuff like that. But yeah, sort of the DC Comic Con. A fun, lovely event. Um, uh, I do not do cosplay. But that is huge. I mean, that's half of what people go to, which is it leads to wonderful scenes as you walk down the street and people in these costumes are walking in. But then also you get um, uh, people. Are, it's a lovely and uh, atmosphere. People are very. There's no judgment. People are like, whatever you like. If you're dressed up as it, people are excited. They want to take your picture with you, and they think, hey, good for you. Like you are into this, and that's fantastic. So it's a wonderfully judgment, uh, judgment-free zone. I mean, except of course, obviously, um, uh, Sylvester McCoy came out ranting about Porter's ranking yeah. of Fenric. Um, wouldn't really stop. Um, yeah, uh, and, McCoy's you know, really up my ass about that. Yeah, you know, kept kept promoting his podcast, uh, things that are worse than Porter Mason. Was, <laughs> there are no episodes, and he said exactly. Uh. Uh, uh, yeah, so it was like it was just he just could not could not let it rest. It's um, a it's a the podcast. It's a it's a it's a real thinker. It's a real art piece. Yeah. <laughs> he promotes the podcast a lot. Yeah, yeah. he has a and website and RSS feed for it, but just nothing on it. And but and he doesn't connect the dots for you either. You just have <laughs> yeah. to put you got to work it out. Yeah, well, he's he's yeah. the he's the doctor. He's smart. He is apparently appearing in an upcoming Rob Zombie movie uh, of the Monsters. He is going to play <laughs> Igor the Butler. Um, uh, and he was commenting that he was approached by Rob Zombie to do this, and he had to call his son because he had no idea who Rob Zombie was. <laughs> and then it was explained to him who Rob Zombie was. He's like, oh, he's great, and the movie's going to be very gory and all sorts of murders. And and then it's like, oh, no, it's actually going to be a PG movie. But um, uh, And uh, yes, um, you know, obviously... 
uh, folks, you know, apologies to everyone who has seen pictures of me with Sylvester McCoy, sparking a lot of rumors, of course, that I am in the 60th anniversary special. Um, you know, I can't comment on that one way or another. Oh, okay. So you're not going to flat out I, deny it. I can't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I would be wrong to, um, he was asked, uh, and he basically said he hadn't been contacted. Um, but I, my, my current speculation is, um, <clears throat> he might be, I mean, I think, um, so as we talked about, uh, uh, David Tennant confirmed, uh, for, uh, the special, because I think they were doing location filming. So didn't have much choice but it wouldn't make any sense to just have david tennant back right that would be sort of weird um or about, almost, uh, almost rude what about, about eccleston or matt well Smith right or... exactly so i and and so i assume there'll be more foreign doctors i also think that they will not it would also be um um very very rude to um have the the new doctor you know regenerate into the new doctor right at the end of jody whitaker's upcoming episode and then have the new doctor you know sort of on screen for two seconds and then, like all these other doctors kind of come right, in right it's like hey we're here too and it's like oh well, this is this is a really terrible thing to do the premiere so i, I the, the speculation and i i'm kind of agreeing is that you know something will happen and she will regenerate into a, a tenant or one of the older doctors or something will happen that will and, and so yes i'm i'm convinced that we're going to see a lot more doctors um, but they've only announced the ones they've had to because people would get a wind of it in location so I'm, that's my bold prediction here i'm, I'm even going to go bold i'm going to say she regenerates into peter davison that's what's going to happen wow. yeah things, so mark your word uh, paul write this down tell tell your your husband <laughs> Uh, and, and let, let the word go forth. That's my prediction. But today, my prediction. And oh, ha- happy, happy anniversary to Porter. Oh, uh, thank Porter you. and Mrs. Probe, Mrs. Probe have been yes. married for uh, six years. Is that right? No, this seven? is 10 years. 10? Oh, wow. Yeah, our wedding was 10 years ago. We actually uh, got married at City Hall six months before our actual wedding reception. So John likes to refer to our wedding as a sham wedding. Yeah, right. Total lie. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, oh, but th- this years. is the 10-year anniversary of the, of the reception. Yeah. Okay. So I was... Mike and I have been together for... Um, uh, oh, a little over ten years. So that means I, I was I was at your wedding. Um, I recall. Yeah, I think Mike was Mike there was at the wedding. Well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So this must have been my first interview. You know, when I was first taking around my arm candy. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, that's to right. To show off to all of you. Yes, and um, Porter. Um, the, my favorite part of Porter's wedding. Um, and all genre fans will appreciate this is that Porter entered uh, <laughs> to an acoustic guitar version of the Jurassic Park uh, theme, <laughs> which I think was quite lovely. And now, full circle, Jurassic World with the original cast coming out uh, and of on the course 10th. that is what we're doing for the anniversary dinner uh, we're going to uh one of those theaters where you, you, you they throw oh you t- eat you get you the sit food down they throw tater yeah. tots at you of course yeah um by the way the jurassic park themed played in acoustic by famed not 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 the mind probe <laughs> none of the mind probe theme song writer johnny marnell who is famously not the writer of the yes. none of the mind probe theme yes. song. We, we referenced that quite a bit at the beginning for everyone who had no idea what we we're talking about who he was or why it would be significant but you know what we should do is we should ask johnny marnell to cover here's to the future i think a <laughs> yes. marnell, here's to the future would actually yes. be an amazing song um, interestingly, at your prep for my Sylvester McCoy meeting, um, which obviously one does, I studied intensively. You got to, you, you only get like a minute with the autograph on the picture. You got to be ready to, to, to pump out a few choice tidbits so that he becomes your best friend. Um, he does not. But anyway, uh, so I watched a great interview with Sylvester McCoy about sort of all his whole career and how he got the, the role of, um, uh, the doctor. And, um, uh, he had a great, his, his great anecdote was, uh, he was in a, uh, some sort of play i think about the uh he was playing um uh, uh i think uh, stan laurel uh, or stanley laurel um and um uh one of the laurel and hardy and um uh, he learned as he's doing this play the story that apparently is hardy uh, hardy's um uh, or, or Laurel's uh, girlfriend was a numerologist or you know, believed in psychic stuff kind of the letters of his name say hey you only have 13 letters in your name um, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe that's bad luck. And so, um, he'd be Stan, I think became Stanley or I'm not sure exactly how the count, but anyway, he changed his name to add more letters. And immediately after that, he, he met Oliver Hardy and rocketed to fame. And Sylvester McCoy at the time was appearing as Sylvester McCoy. Um, huh. his real name is Percy Kent Smith. Um, what? yeah. <laughs> so he was appearing as Sylvester McCoy. It was a name that he was given when he was doing this, this traveling road show. It's pretty. Um, and he said, Oh, all right. Yeah. I only have 13 letters of my name. So he changed his name to Sylvester McCoy. And within a month he was Dr. Who. Uh, so there you go. Count Sylvester the letters of your name, folks. McCoy, uh, Sylvester is a particularly bad name. 
Yeah. Still vest. That is hard to say. Yeah. And it does. It's, it's got a weird, the connotation. Can't, it's like a weird French kind of, you just kind of don't want to like it. No. <laughs> I'm no. Um, so anyway, uh, so uh, wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, happy anniversary to Porter and Mrs. Probe. Um, but this podcast right now is not actually going to be a retrospective on uh, their marriage. Um, <laughs> that will be, that's going to be next episode. We're still working on it. Right. I got a lot yeah. of people in the research department working on that. Um, trying to dig up the dirt. This one's going to be about um, uh, sort of origins, uh, or, or I, I think that's my linking theme. Again, is, is yeah. versus, this does not have a traditional classic episode connection because it's really hard to find something compared to our first episode, The Doctor's Wife. Um, the Doctor, Eleventh Doctor, Amy and Rory in a Neil Gaiman spectacular um, that uh, introduces the TARDIS as a character. Uh, and so quite, quite a wild ride. Uh, and so I sort of, as we get a little backstory about the Doctor and the TARDIS and how they came together, we have uh, I paired that with an adventure in space and time, which is a, a docu drama that was made for the 50th anniversary uh, celebrations, uh, and features David Bradley playing William Hartnell playing the first Doctor. So yeah, wrap your head around that one, people. All right, so let's uh, let's. Uh, by Hager. the way, that was quite a preamble there. That was yeah. an about 11 minute preamble. <laughs> um, so let's uh, recap these episodes. And I said, as I said to John in the in the podcast green room, yeah. I'll try to recap these quickly so he can just get in and tell me all the interesting tidbits that are sort of in and around these episodes but or, or stories. Both of them very interesting. The Doctor's Wife, Series 6, Episode 4. Uh, this is story number 216 of the total 299 current uh, Doctor Who stories. It aired May 14th, 2011. It's a single episode. And uh, John has a clip, which I'll play for you now. Doctor. Are you there? It's so very dark in here. I'm here. I've been looking for a word. A big, complicated word, but so sad. I found it now. What word? I'm alive. Alive isn't sad. It's sad when it's over. I'll always be here. But this is when we talked. And now even that has come to an end. There's something I didn't get to say to you. Goodbye. No, I just wanted to say. Very, very nice to meet you. And that's what very we call much. on the lighter side of Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a little no, bit of I fun. Actually, I teared up when it uh, when I originally saw it, and even doing that recording, I teared up a little. It's a very sweet moment. Yeah. Um, uh, very, and, and you know, considering that he's talking to the embodiment of a box. So, you know, <laughs> well, of a, of a of a of a machine of a, a time box. machine. So. Um, the story is sort of simple. It's more about getting to meet the the TARDIS, who, as we just heard here, is embodied in this woman called Idris. So the Doctor and Amy and Rory uh, get a SOS signal that appears to be from a Time Lord that the Doctor knows, Corsair. They arrive on this asteroid. It's outside the universe. He kind of talks about this a little bit. Um, it's like a bubble universe. They arrive, and then what they find out is it's sort of abandoned, and they quickly realize that... Uh, and when they get there, the heart of the TARDIS, the matrix of the TARDIS, <laughs> is mm-hmm. gone or missing or just snuffed out. It's uh, unclear. Extracted. Extracted. So then what they find yeah. is that the the, <clears throat> the asteroid itself is, is a, a being that has been drawing Time Lords there to kill them uh, for a long time. A good while, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and he or it has taken uh, the heart of the TARDIS, and again has embodied, then becomes embodied as this woman, Idris. Um, Amy and Rory are aboard the TARDIS. Uh, this asteroid, uh, who r- reveals that their name is House, uh, kind of traps them on there. And the, inside the TARDIS, it's sort of this horror movie of this House entity trying to kill Amy and Rory. And outside, it's the Doctor working with the TARDIS, who he knows very well, but is also he's never really met in human form. Um, they put together a makeshift TARDIS from mm-hmm. the 
basically the other TARDISes the that Tardai. have been yep. strewn yeah, in the junkyard on this little asteroid where they've he's drawn time wards from for years upon years. They make the ne- makeshift TARDIS. They get back into the other TARDIS. And, um, you know, as I often say, it's like, and then they win. It's not really that important. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but then a bunch of stuff happens, including they have to take the matrix, the the TARDIS matrix from Idris essentially has to die, but not really, right? right? Because the matrix then yeah, it goes back and continues on. But her human form <laughs> or its human form dies. And um, so this is his last time being able to speak to, to the TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah but i mean there's there seemed to be I, I, it seemed to me i don't know but um that this must have been revealing lots of things about what the tardis is their relationship um yeah so i'm sure there's lots of details here that what? were kind of not necessarily new or shocking to me but maybe to fans of a 60 year old <laughs> show would have been a, wow we've never heard this before you know that kind of a thing yeah, I think, I mean, so I, I think it, I remember reading reviews that were early reviews that were like, oh, this is going to be very controversial because people were excited about it because Neil Gaiman, uh, now, I don't right. know, have you heard of Neil Gaiman before yes, he's, this? he's written, he is, um, when you get into liking comics and then want to be a snob about liking comics, and I don't right. mean that meanly, but like when you start to read comics and you're like, hey, actually comics are pretty great and there's some amazing things. He's one of the authors that people always point to and say like, you should read Neil Gaiman, some Neil Gaiman written comics. Because they sort of transcend the form, and they're actually really wonderful things. He wrote this. You, you get uh, in through Watchmen, uh, and then well, Alan Moore like, wrote read that. Then you right, Alan Moore wrote Watchmen. Right. He's another yep. crazy Englishman. <laughs> right. um, Neil Gaiman <laughs> wrote uh, a long series of a uh, book. I believe it was a DC book called Sandman, and they're yeah. supposed to be really wonderful. To be honest, I could never quite get into them, but I've since seen other things that he's written and read other <clears throat> things yep. that he's written and really liked. Um, the, but Sandman was a big thing. For, and he for, wrote um he wrote something about well the good omens was the, the thing he did with michael uh, michael sheen and david tennant did um uh, on amazon i've never read the, the book and then i think there was a book or something about superheroes or no something about gods actually right? american gods yeah yeah somehow. um uh mike mr pro wrote that but i don't know um i, I don't um i'm not actually it's a shock revelation um you know pay attention british tabloids when you're done writing about the queen oh he wrote Coraline um, too okay oh yeah okay i heard yeah that's that was a tim burton like animated movies and stardust if you ever saw that which is a completely Mm -hmm. different in tone than everything else he wrote but it's um yeah it's like a pretty fantasy movie um, so see, I'm not a huge fantasy person. I, I, well, I this is more of a light, light fantasy. His <clears throat> other things are very actually heavy, more like horror yeah. and um, gothic kind of things. I, I might yeah. be phrasing that wrong. But anyway, he's a very prolific and very well-regarded writer. So it's interesting. Was he always a Who fan? Was that? Yes. Yeah, so apparently he's a lifelong Who fan. Um, and uh, people got very excited when he was announced as a writer. I, I was not aware of who he was because uh, I'm not a big comics person. Um, but um, I'm not a big. I like I like the Garfield. Field. Sure. Love, love the Garfield. Yeah. Uh, I don't but, think he uh, did yeah. that one. I don't think that's yeah, one that he did. Did he do that one? I don't right, think well. so. Um, uh, Heathcliff. I really like any any cat, any sarcastic cat <laughs> okay. one. Is yes. really a big one. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so people were very excited. So uh, I think looking forward to see what he would do. This was apparently going to be last season, um, but it, there was a delay and uh, he wasn't able to finish it, and so they pushed it to this season. I think there was even some question of budgeting. Um, uh, it's also uh, I don't know if you recognize the voice. It is, I'm not sure you would have, but House, the voice of the planet, is Michael Sheen. Oh, uh, the no. great Michael Sheen. <laughs> Uh, and, um, uh, again, I'm not sure it was promoted too much that he was going to be in it. Obviously he was big at the time. He's always been sort of big. Um, but, um, uh, I'm glad I actually, uh, in some ways I'm glad it was just a voice cause I'd like to see him in Dr. Who again. Um, he was actually, um, you know, suggested he might be the next 14th doctor had they gone another white guy. Um, but that was going to probably be unlikely, but, um, uh, wasn't he? So yeah, Michael, in, wasn't, uh, Michael. Was wasn't Michael Sheen in Doctor Who as something? No, no, this, no, this, this is, is only the appearance? only thing he's been in. Yeah, this oh. is the only appearance. Um, um, and then Saran Jones, who I've not heard of really, as Idris of the TARDIS, does a remarkable job. Could could be annoying. Could be could plays it ju- plays it crazy, but plays it just carefully enough that you don't quite yeah. go over the top, which I liked. Um, uh, could be a little crazy. Um, the uh, fun note: so the TARDIS, the the makeshift TARDIS. Uh, so so Doctor Who's always been closely associated. I think this was a, was Blue Peter. So Doctor Who's always been closely with this kids show called Blue Peter, um, which is a sort of kids afternoon show, and it's like hosted. It's like hosted by people, and they interview you know actors, and they do projects. You know, here's here's how you make a, a Dalek out of a paper cup. Here's how you make a cake, a Dalek cake, and you know stuff for kids. 
Um, it's not all Doctor Who stuff, of course. Uh, but they had a contest where they had a contest to d- design a TARDIS uh, console. Um, and uh, Stephen Moffat. Uh, so this was also remember they they had a contest to design the monster, the absorbable off the monster uh, in right. Love, uh, Love and Monsters, right? Yeah. Some kind of thing. They said design a TARDIS, and Stephen Moffat said, "Okay, I'll I'll put it in Doctor Who." So the TARDIS that uh, the, the TARDIS that um, they build was designed by I think like a twelve year old um, <laughs> a kid who, <laughs> and the design department turned it into something real, and and they made it, and this was very cool, um, and it works, right? It's like okay, yeah, this is, this is a funny little makeshift thing, and and you know gets a kid's design, and that's very cool, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get, um, uh, um, I'll comment to um, two things. Uh, one thing I love, uh, there's a great line where um, uh, House, Michael Sheen says, uh, you know, fear me, I've killed dozens of Time Lords. <laughs> and Matt Smith <laughs> snaps back, fear me, I've killed all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> um, good line, good, good badass line. Uh, and then um, uh, you do have poor Rory dies again. Uh, Rory's oh, Rory. died a lot. Catching strays um, left and right. And it's losing its impact. Uh, and people were starting to comment. It's like, oh, good. Rory's dead again. There's a little bit of a, he does, they remark on it, right? He's like, oh, you left me again. Um, and so, you know, playing to the anger. But of course, then he comes back and he's fine. Um, Amy's a little flip through the whole thing. I, it, I think there was some commentary that she was a, a little too flippant um, throughout sort of this, or at least the early part of the series. Um, and I don't know if that's a result of Vince that we'll find out shortly um, or, or if they were just, character was settling down with Rory, the new dynamic or whatever, but there's some, I don't know. I, I, it, she doesn't seem to take it as seriously. Um, all of it as she should. Um, I'm kind of know, interested like as, funny- as their time goes on. Um, and, and like, you know, now going to, so for, for my, the new ones I've been watching, okay, I'm on my third doctor, but then mm-hmm. they've, but then, well, the first one only said, anyway, I feel like they do have this rhythm of much as I love Rory and Amy, I'm like, yeah, I guess it'd be about time for some new companions soon. Like, it just feels like that, you know? Yeah. And it's funny to me to. how it feels like you want the companions to bounce after about two years, but then you want the doctor to stay like four or five years. Like, you want you yeah. want like them to go through two sets of companions. Um, yeah. And it's just it's because it's like Amy and Rory are probably my favorite companions. But I'm yeah. just sort of like, yeah, well, I don't know. Like, don't they probably need to get back home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and there's you know it's interesting. There is um uh there is maybe and maybe this comes uh, so we're gonna have a companion with Peter Capaldi called Clara. Actually, with Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, the next companion, Clara. And um, one during the Peter Capaldi years, one of the themes is that she gets too cocky, right? She gets too comfortable and she starts taking risks and she thinks she's the doctor basically. And and like he gets concerned. And it's like, wait, you know, you're getting too comfortable with this time yeah. travel stuff. Like you're gonna do something and die. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big, um, uh, sort of a big thing here. So we know the, the, the only thing we really know is that, um, the doctor stole a TARDIS, uh, and went out into the universe with Susan. Uh, and, and that's, that was, that's the origin story. Um, he stole the initial TARDIS. Yes. Yes. He, well, he says borrowed, um, but yes, stole. Is that uh, meaning so, in, in unearthly child, he steals it right then or no, no. So, uh, sometime before then he was on Gallifrey and, uh, you know, hanging out with the time Lords and, uh, they were just, you know, boring and they'd sit around and they didn't want to interfere. They had all this great power, but they didn't want to explore or interfere because they were worried you know, they'd screw up time or whatever. Um, and, uh, he says, no, we should go out and explore the universe and get to experience these things. So he, he snuck away and stole a tart. Uh, and went off on the run, uh, and that's why they chase him down at the end in the war games. He's, that was sort of uh, he's been out interfering in the universe, um, and so we knew he'd stolen the TARDIS, and we knew that we knew that. Well, interestingly, we we he had made he said in the past, um, you know, the TARDIS is alive in some ways, right? Um, but always in sort of a vague way, like, well, it's a living thing and it's a super complicated machine, right? Uh, and so maybe you know, it, it seems like a living thing that should always be buzzing and humming and ticking, and all this stuff is always going on. Um, and then there's some, you know, talk of oh, there's tele- telepathic links to the TARDIS, you know, that that you can that it communicate, you can communicate a little bit telepathically with it, or it understands, and you know, but it was always sort of this back and forth of like well is it just you know this is you know i i some people 
talk to their car like that. <laughs> like, ah, yes, old Bessie. Uh, right. Actually, in Doctor Who, Bessie is, is actually Bessie. Um, uh, so this, but this really does sort of confirm it uh, that, you know, there is some sort of sentience to the TARDIS. And, and a lot of the, and I should say the fiction, like a lot of the, the books and things like that during the, the wilderness years after the McCoy and the, the original series went off there did kind of, in some of the comics, did suggest the TARDIS was alive. So it's not a new idea that the TARDIS is alive, but then to hear it actually talk. But then the big thing I think that some people thought would be a bigger, bigger deal, maybe wasn't was that the TARDIS was taking him places he needed to go, right? That he was being directed um, in some way around the universe by the TARDIS, which was like sensing he's needed here or something like that. Um, Meaning that it's not the, the way she implied that in this episode. And that was the first time that that it's right. Been yeah. Like I always, he said, you never took me where I wanted to go. No, I always took you where you needed to go. Um, so it gives an interesting, you know, the, the sort of um, always the, the issue around Dr. Who is that like, you know, uh, he, he has no control over the TARDIS. Right. Actually, we just heard that in the clip uh, from the last episode of the smugglers. Right. I have no control over how this machine goes. Right. Um, except when you need to have control over how it goes. And suddenly he gets control. You know, and like, you know, when it's convenient for the plot. But the idea was sort of aimless wandering. Um, but if you now give it a purpose like it is, interesting. I, I compare it to um, uh, we've talked about this in the past, but uh, um, the show Quantum Leap, which is coming back. Uh, apparently, they're rebooting oh, really? Quantum Leap. I love yeah, that show. A, a new guy who's going to look for Sam. Um, so I'm sure Scott Bakula will show up because we are in the golden age where uh, everything is geared towards our generation. And it's like, I want to see 80 year old people who were on TV 40 years ago doing the same thing they were doing then. <laughs> that is what I want. I know it was, um, a, it was like, it took me about five or 10 years into this, uh, my middle age, essentially be like to kind of, it dawned on me. I was like, Oh, man, all these things I used to like, I feel like they're bringing them back. It's so lucky for me. It's like, well, there's a specific <laughs> reason for this. It's right. not just by accident. And we're like, running out of time. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, that's coming back. So uh, I remember there was a controversy. I don't know if you if you watched the whole series, but the final episode of Quantum Leap implied that he was being directed as well. Right. He oh. goes to somewhere and there's some entity, which I think was sort of implied to be God, which gets into their whole computer. If God could just why doesn't God? just fix it himself rather than send some random guy right. to do stuff right because i'm um, bored yeah oh it's <laughs> it was, no fun just me fixing it's, it it's like the brilliant 30 rock episode where alec baldwin was trying to tank nbc and one of the stories he was god cop and it was god as a, a cop partner and that they, <laughs> they're trying to film an episode and he's like he's like ah it's like the cops like I, the buddy is like i don't understand what we're doing why who are you do you god or not <laughs> and, and alec baldwin's <laughs> like let us pray and it's like to pray to who <laughs> it's very anyway so, yeah, so, so the question of whether there's a purpose of the Doctor thing is kind of an interesting thing. It doesn't really, now it's announced out there, but it doesn't really get revisited um, much, but you never know when it could. Um, so anyway, uh, that's that's part one of our, our discussion tonight. So let's just, everybody tuck that away. Maybe the Doctor is being directed around the universe um, by the TARDIS force. That's part one. Okay. All right. So why don't, why don't we move along to our second, not necessarily classic story, Right. Um, story is, about the classic story. This is a an adventure in space and time. Uh, it's a classic story, but made in 2013. Yes. yes. Um, so this is a television movie. So so John will tell us all, a lot more about the backstory of this. It doesn't exist in the number of stories that we have cataloged no. for Doctor Who because it's not that. Although it, like it touches the upon several of the classic stories that we've like watched. House. It's outside of our dimension of Doctor Who stories. That's right. There's, there's your link, people. It's there's a your bubble, link, people. A bubble dimension. Can I just phone what? this show in? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> by the way, written by famously gay Mark Gaddis. Super gay. Um, and you and... can tell the gay, the gayness exudes itself throughout uh, the story. <laughs> and stars a bunch of wonderful uh, British actors, David Bradley, Brian Cox, Jessica Rain, Sasha Dewan, and Leslie Manville, um, as some of the main characters. Let's listen to a clip of Adventure. Uh, whose idea was all this? That fellow from ITV? Sidney Newman, yes. But so many people have been at the birth of the thing, we'd be here all day. Tell me about the characters. Two school teachers, Ian and Barbara. They're intrigued about one of their pupils, a young girl called Susan. She seems to have impossible knowledge for a girl from 1963. So the school teachers follow her home, but home is a junkyard. Yes, yes, yes. Scripts. I need to see scripts. Oh, they're going wonderfully. <laughs> wonderfully. The BBC are really excited about the show. I mean, 
They're throwing everything at it. State-of-the-art facilities. How do they get about? A flying saucer or something? Ours is a space and time machine that can blend in with its background. Oh, you mean it's covered in invisible paint or something? No, 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 no. It adapts to suit its environment. It gets stuck in one shape. A police box. Police box. How gorgeous would that be? An ordinary 20th century object on the surface of an alien planet. Fantastic. What about the doctor himself? He's something like 600 years old. Looks like a senile old man, but he's tough. Tough. Tough and wiry like an old turkey. It's what you do so well, Mr. Hartnell. Stern and scary, but with a twinkle. All right. So uh, very quickly, um, the and this is a this is an hour and a half movie. Um, well, yep. I'm not, well, not quite an hour and a half. Um, and it is available. I watched it on BritBox. If you're interested in watching yep. it, it is on BritBox. It but BritBox. it's a uh, it's really watch lovely. it legally on BritBox, folks. BritBox is a reasonably priced alternative to stealing uh, content. <laughs> That's right. Let's throw that out. There. Um, also, the torrent was going very slow, and then I realized, hey, I already own this. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't I? Um, so. Uh, basically we see the formation and founding of doctor who the television show up until basically when william hartnell um is retired in the episode we recently saw i forgot the name yeah, of it yeah 10th planet 10th planet 10th planet was a side um so the but the story the the characters as they show it are sydney newman as this new head of bbc or i guess head of bbc drama in, in the movie it almost feels like he's just running the bbc um yeah and he is is he American or he's Canadian? Canadian. Yep, Canadian. And he's come over and he's put in charge of this. He's trying to shake things up. He um, gives a show to this uh, young woman who we've talked about several times before, Verity Lambert. Verity Lambert. But yeah. watching the show really hits you. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's this, it's 1962 probably when they first start. Yep. Or 63 maybe. And uh, he's giving the show over to not just, it, and they said it's the first woman who's ever run a show at the BBC or ever done produced the BBC. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and not only she's uh, first woman to do it, but like, yeah, she's really young now. Of course, then you yeah, see her she's as never character. She's um, perfect. You know, she's very very scrappy and kind of takes care of things. And then also, it, they don't get into how this happened, but um, is 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 his name Waris Hussein? Uh, Waris Hussain, yes. Waris Hussain is tapped as the first director who's also like the first Indian uh, who's ever directed something on the BBC, too. So, right. and, and uh, he is gay, but that does not, uh, he is not out gay, obviously, right, until, uh, yeah, for a while. So, but yeah, this is that he's actually gay uh, in real life. This isn't just Mark Gatiss, just, just gay and <laughs> up stuff. But so, it just, shows, you know, um, her, she's about to start. It's really funny because she's like, I'm going to get out of this TV business. Like, you're 24 years old or whatever it is. But anyway, but she's just more she's running up against a brick wall. And basically, she's just like, I'm not getting anywhere with this. So what am I doing? Um, So she gets the show. Uh, They they recruit uh, William Hartnell, who, of course, we've met. But we kind of see him before the show in that he um just seems like he's kind of washed, like he's kind of done. He's done some stuff. Nothing ever really that big um, is loath to really do TV and certainly a kid's program, but kind of gets talked into it in in some scenes that I, I feel like they set up too much that he needed to get talked into it. And then the scenes in which he was talked into it didn't seem like why would that have moved him? Um, yeah, very convincing. Yeah. But then uh, and then we get to kind of get to watch the show as it is real rickety and getting up on its feet. And then really takes off with the Daleks episode, which you story rather, um, which you've mm-hmm. talked about before. And then it goes through, um, uh, you know, the years. He becomes a little bit more of a diva on the show. Um, he is dealing with some health problems throughout, which you've talked about, and we kind of see that. And then, you know, near the end, we finally see he's he's basically pushed out because he's becoming very hard to work with and just isn't able to capably do his job um, as he mm-hmm. did before. Um, but he thinks he's so secure in it because it's like he. He's Doctor Who. I mean, like he yeah. and he at this How point shows a huge him? hit. Um, and but of course, as we know, he he is written out, and and we get the first <laughs> regeneration, and we see fellow League of Gentlemen star uh, Reese. Oh gosh, what's his name? Yeah, as the second Doctor, yeah. Reese Shearsmith as Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Lots of really interesting stuff. So I will tell you, uh, I love like not, this isn't a biopic, but like basically fictional retellings mm-hmm. of nonfiction events. So like, this is so fascinating to me. I, it's very well. And, and the BBC does these very well. And yeah. Yeah, so period pieces, they're very good with the costumes and stuff. It's fair. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's obviously period piece and very well done. And, um, and it's an interesting story. I mean, it really, it is, 
especially because as you're watching it, even if you don't know as much of the detail, but if you just know that like, hey, this thing that they're like kicking to try to get off the ground then goes on for 70 years. <laughs> right. Um, well, and it's it, yeah. and I think the most interesting thing is, too, it, it, it is pretty close to accurate. But in fact, they actually, um, uh, I think for the sake of time and clarity, they actually um, eliminated um, several people who were also part, like David Whitaker's not mentioned, uh, Anthony Coburn, like the, the people who were actually part of the funny, but they didn't have time to get them all in. Yeah. And what's interesting yeah. is that if you, you know, like, hey, how do you design a show that lasts 70 years? Well, you obviously need a strong creative vision. Like this isn't some this isn't some corporate show. You need a strong creative <laughs> vision and a passion for it. It's like this show was created by committee. Right. And it, was, and it, it, it is absolutely true. They needed something between, um, I believe it was Top of the Pops, which is I, I get, I think it's sort of a cross between TRL and like American Bandstand, yeah, right? Like, yep. Pop music and Grandstand, which was the sports scores, like the sport, like Sports Center, basically. Huh. So you need something that kept the kids. But also would interest the dads, basically. They had this spot. Um, and it was Saturday afternoon. And uh, yeah, Sidney Newman comes in. And he had done some sci-fi for other, um, for in Canada. And he said, I want to do, we should do sci-fi. And, and it's never clear. It's never really been uh, clear where he came up with any of it. But he just sort of vaguely sketched out this idea and then handed it off to people. And were like, here, do this. Um and you know he's and brought it all in seemed to, shake to be for BBC. like the wrong reasons of like we need a sci-fi thing yeah for kids like it was very you know right there's no like there's no the like horse, creative kind of force thing. yeah there was no creative force it was like i passionately believe this story must be told like it's just like eh, whatever <laughs> uh and i think that's fascinating like, it's re again it's sort of interesting it sort of questions everything you think about like how to how do you create quality art and stuff like that right i mean um it's really interesting it's it, the um going through it uh especially i think it's probably interesting for people who don't know the story um uh, you know, it's a lot. It's all really true. Like stuff like, um, uh, you know, they couldn't. The art department wouldn't pay any attention to her, and she couldn't get. Uh, his name is Peter Petrocki. They couldn't get anybody to pay take seriously the need for the design. So she finally went down and was like, "Come on!" And he he just was like, "Here, fine." And like that becomes the TARDIS, right? This iconic design that is still core part of the whole thing was just him being like, "Here, shut up and go away." Um, the music was composed by Delia Derbyshire, uh, who was a, a, a genius, basically using these very weird, not traditional instruments and like very weird stuff. The credits were created by pointing the camera at the monitor uh, and, and you know, seeing what happened. The Daleks, uh, Sidney Newman hated the Daleks. He said, no BEMs, no bug eyed monsters. This is not the kind of sci-fi show I want to have. And Verity Lambert fought for them. Uh, and, um, and, you know, uh, he's a good, you know, if you ever want to uh, show people how to be a good, a good boss, I like his little moment where, uh, you know, she comes, it's been a huge hit and she, you know, he sold her no bug eye monsters and yelled at her. He's like, well, it's your, your butt on the line if this doesn't work. And then she calls her to his office and she comes in and he just goes, he's like 10 million people for your bug eyed monsters. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> like, it's a great sort of moment of like, oh yeah. Um, they did reshoot the pilot, right? The, the first pilot was a disaster, um, and they they completely restaged it. They they ended up had to keep going and produce produce the next episodes. Um, and then they went back and like in episode three and reshot the pilot with new based on feedback from uh, from Newman. Well, what um, I thought so was interesting is or at least the way this was told um, and the way it got across is like you said there wasn't like some creative force saying like this is my vision this is how it is or, like as an origin but then you saw everyone involved along the way really like oh i really like like they all yeah, the idea it. itself just sort of they all started yeah. making it and they all started becoming really passionate about it um so there was something to it you know um yeah. that just really kept bringing them along well i do i do think it is I, I think I, 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 you know, I'm sure there's there's academic work to deconstruct this. I, I, maybe one day it will be me. Uh, but um, there is like this, the diversity of the people who started this show, right? They were all outsiders. You know, Verity Lambert, a woman, the first woman producer, Waris Hussain. Um, well, I think I, I, I don't know for sure. I feel like his role in this gets bumped up a little because he only really ever directs two episodes uh, or two stories. The first one and one called Marco Polo and then kind of goes off to do his own thing. But maybe because of that first story, he had a lot of influence. But either way. Um, well, I think they also uh, just wanted to show that they were picking non-traditional people. Like there were so many right. things that were odd about it that they. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, again, a woman, um, <clears throat> a woman doing the music, and you've got you know William Hartnell is your is your uh, your, your lead, somebody who's basically a sort of actor at the end of his career, and and not um, <clears throat> not a. Um, 
uh, magic. You know, he he so he was famous for playing sergeants. He played very and uh, he talks about the army game, which was apparently a long running series where he played sort of a rough drill sergeant, and I think he'd done military roles in movies and stuff like that. So he was somewhat known, but not like a legendary actor. But he was, people would have recognized him. Um, uh, interestingly, he does. Um, uh, he does. Uh, David Bradley does an excellent job in playing him. I think he's very good. And, and you sort of, um, he's not. You know, if you if you looked at them side by side, you'd be like, oh, he's not actually doing very necessarily William Hartnell, but he you just he does become him anyway. <laughs> it's excellent. It's a very. He's I think famous for the Game of Thrones. Is that right? He was in that that old that Thrones show. Who, kids are who's about. famous for Game Dave, of Thrones? David Bradley, William Hartnell. Oh. Um, yes, 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 yes. I guess that's some, how I knew the face. Guy. Right, right, right. I mean, he's not a major... Uh, um, Roger. There's, there's lots of major characters in that show, but... <clears throat> well, that's His true. face seems familiar to me from other things, too, but... Oh, he's in Broadchurch, I think. Um, mm. And he's um, uh, he was also... Uh, did you watch Afterlife, the Ricky Gervais uh, show? Which uh, yes. Very good. Yeah. He was the dad uh, in that. Um, but right. he's very good. Um, Hartnell was a... They, they do get to this a little bit, but um, and capture sort of... Hartnell was a challenging person to work with. He was racist and homophobic. Um, uh, and uh, he struggled with... Uh, um, uh, Caroline Ford, who played Susan, that this is covered a little bit. You know, he, he couldn't uh, distinguish that um, she was a, a young, she was an adult playing a child and he treated her like a child and she did not like that. Um, uh, by the way, um, uh, this is a, um, uh, at the beginning when um, some uh, is either very... Somebody pulls up to the parking space at the BBC and gets out of their car, a cop accosts them and says, you, you can't park there blah, yeah, yeah. Blah. that's william russell that's ian uh, uh <laughs> the, the original ian uh it makes a little cameo and he gets the great line that's not the way we do things at the bbc uh which is very <laughs> i think um, and then um there's a later scene where there's a mother calling to her kids uh to come in uh because yeah. i want to come in and watch doctor who and that's uh, susan that's carolyn oh <laughs> um so they got the original cast uh who were still alive what about um, susan here Wait, that was but Susan. That, that was Susan. Yeah, Barbara had died a while ago. But that oh, was okay. By the way, so uh, that David, was very sweet. David Bradley. Um, how I had known him uh, is he plays uh, a very a big role in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, right. He's the bad guy, right? The, the bad. And David Tennant. No, David Tennant. He's, guy. he's. I mean, he's Filch. He, he's he's like the caretaker at, at the school, and he, he's just uh, he's a key character. Okay, all right. I, I need to finish seeing those movies. I want to make sure they're popular before I waste my time. Um, and then second of uh, all, I just wanted to mention because I had to look it up again. Um, and I because I remembered us talking about this before. Like, well, he's the like. He's the oldest doctor until Peter Capaldi. So I looked him up. They were almost the same age. I mean, he was 55. Like when you watch this movie and, and David Bradley may very well have been a very different age when he played this. No, no. Let's see. He's 80 now. So he was. Yeah, he was in his 70s. But but I mean, that's what the guy looked like. And I just can't. When you see that guy, I'm like, man, he looks easily 20 years older, if not 25 years older than his age. He looks about 80 years old. He's only 55. Yeah. Hartnell was not in good health, uh, smoked like a chimney. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, clearly, and yeah, you see when you, when you get to the Peter Capaldi years and you see how he brings, how much energy and stuff he can bring to the role and what he does. Um, yeah, does we live better lives, uh, than they did. Um, and then, yeah, the only, I, I, one other thing to add is, um, uh, the, the lovely little Matt Smith cameo at the end, um, you know, them uh, looking at each other and it really does drive home. You're like, uh, uh, yeah, this guy, you know, uh, took it as a lark. I thought eh, it'll just be a thing that'll go for a couple of years. Um, you know, created this legacy that's still going on, right? Uh, you know, if he hadn't been effective at it on some level, there wouldn't be Matt Smith and now Jody Whittaker and now Shooty Got. I mean, it just wouldn't have it just wouldn't have happened. So it's a, it's an amazing. It does sort of drive home, and that's obviously what they're trying to do for the 50th anniversary. It was like, oh yeah, this is a pretty remarkable story, um, <laughs> and you know, this is this is a cool sort of origin origin to it. Themes, 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 themes. It's very ethereal. Are we visiting by the ghost of themes past? <laughs> well, I was trying to recreate the uh, the lovely. Uh, what did she use a radiator to do the the theme? Uh, the, I'm sorry, the the Doctor Who. Uh, or is that? Oh, the TARDIS is a key on a, a piano wire. The TARDIS right, is a right, key, right, right. Yes. which is I also believe that is a 
a gun, a stormtrooper's gun or something like oh. that. It's a very popular thing. Yeah. Well, we are adherents of the repeating themes here on No Not yeah. the Mind Probe. We like to revisit topics and items that are threaded throughout Doctor Who and all of human history. But John, what did yes. you want to talk about with these two episodes? Well, so the link in my head to these was uh, sort of obviously origins. You know, you've got the, the TARDIS. Again, I told you, folks, I told you to keep in your head that concept of the, mm. the TARDIS guy, I think, right? So it's, it's going back to it's always been driven by the TARDIS. Um, and now Adventures Times, they Fills, fills in fills in a little bit of the um, sort of backstory or lack of backstory, right? I mean, so they didn't. I mean, there's even that scene in, in Adventure Time Says, which is true, where um, if you see the original pilot, you can still watch. It's actually on BritBox as well. You can see the first take at it um, that they said no, do it again. Um, and there is a line in there where she's like, "I'm from the year 3149 or something like that," and he says, "Take that out. It's too specific." Um, and you know, we want to make this more vague and whatnot. Um, maybe anticipating that one day it would still be running in uh, 3149 and then people would be like, oh, it's not, this doesn't hold up. Um, which is right. Uh, so during, um, I think a lot of people didn't get it, which I, again, why Stephen Moffat is brilliant. But at one point, some interviewer asked him when they were gearing up for the 50th anniversary um, uh, season and the special that was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. It was very exciting. Um, you know, they said, so what's what are your plans for the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who? <laughs> he he kind of quipped. He goes, I'm just going off of Verity Lambert's original uh, sketch of what she said we should do at 50. <laughs> it's all mapped out. Like, and the interviewer didn't get it. Um, but um, uh yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, how much does <clears throat> does the vagueness of Doctor Who's origin, we don't know anything, there's very little structure to the original series. Um, is that helpful? And then do, is that is that helpful? I mean, is that why I mean, it seems like it's why the series keeps going? And then when you drop something like, oh, it's actually turned out that the TARDIS all along has been guiding his adventures. Does that take something away? There's an argument that every time we learn something about Gallifrey and Time Lords and the Doctor's origins, that it ruins the show or it makes the show somehow less magical or interesting or mysterious. So the whole point is Doctor Who, right? He's Doctor Who. Um, so you're not supposed to know anything about him. So, yeah, I mean, does it is it is it when you when you see how it started and you see these gaps kind of get filled in, does it ruin your experience of the show? Yes, I'm done with the show. Yeah, okay. um, All right, good. Well, folks, this was it. Uh, 61. <laughs> we finally ruined it. <laughs> um, I think, well, I think part of the, you know, unique or, or genius construction of the doctor as a character is that there's so much unknown about him that even when you add some known things, it's like, now I know one out of a hundred thousand things that are, you know, to, that could be known about this person. And um, mm -hmm. so I think it's inter it's always interesting, but it never feels like, oh, I, now I totally understand everything. It's like, no, there still seems like huge swaths of things that you will never understand. Um, That's true. And he's had a long of it. time. I do think some of the things that like if it was really hit hard, this idea that like I took you where you needed to go, things like that, like if people really read into that a lot um, or if the show tipped that more, I felt that was just more of a line that was just like a clever writing line. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of meant that, I mean, we know that the TARDIS is sort of sentient in a way. Right. And mm -hmm. I thought it was just a clever writing line to say that, like, not that not that the TARDIS was like directing his every move and, and causing his life, but just sort of like, you know, I would kind of steer you. Uh, I right. would work within what you asked me to do, but I would kind of do something if I thought it would be a little better for you to go that way. I sent you that yeah, way. Yeah, let like, that I, go or don't be quite bound with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what it felt like to me. It didn't feel like saying like, it's all been a dream. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, well, so, that'd be great if just yeah. in the 60th anniversary, like he just gets hit on the head and then David Bradley is playing William Hartnell and just wakes up in the shower and is like, Oh, well, that was weird. <laughs> it was like, I, hey, Susan. I, yeah. That'd be, I go back that'd be, to that I'm episode. Write. I forget what it was, but it was the only one I've seen where they were really on Gallifrey and they, um, you actually, you just referenced the episode in this podcast. And I uh, War Games, maybe. War Games. Um, or yeah. It was also but, The Deadly Assassin, I think it was on. The Deadly Assassin is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And they could have, in that one, said like, Oh, well, hello, Doctor. Of course, and you're on your uh, hundred year mission to catalog right. <laughs> all the species in the world. Like, you know, like really defined what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't. Instead, they're like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> you're just, like, you're just kind of out there kicking around. And uh, so I think they're, they seem to be pretty careful to when they do define things at it. Usually when they define something about the Doctor, it seems to me so far, mm -hmm. they've done so in a way that expands uh the character rather than like hems you in 
It's more yeah. like, oh, oh you that always thought this was a rule. Well, actually, it's kind of mm. not really a rule. And here's a new way mm. to think about it. And it kind of expands it more. Or at least those, I think, are the helpful ones. Back to that so same you, episode of The Deadly okay. Assassin, just really quick, I wanted to say that uh, I remember watching that one being like, oh, I'm very excited to see this. And then I remember being really disappointed by it of just like, oh, you know what? Maybe I yeah. don't want to see this. <laughs> Maybe I don't yeah. want to see behind the scenes of the doctor. Well, it's like the uh, it's like the, the genius of Russell T. Davies inventing the idea of the time war, but not actually showing the time war and then just throwing in references to it. Like, ah, I flew into the jaws of the nightmare child and the army of the undead and the never wins. And all. it's like, oh, yeah, but by actually showing it, you just kind of ruin the great mystery. It's, but it's interesting. I wonder if there's a change in how people. So um, I'm thinking of like Marvel movies now, right? You have to start with the or everyone has an origin story and it's this detail. here's what happened and then their mom died and then they got upset and they got their hand closed in a car door and that was upsetting (laughs) and then the character at most is in like three movies yeah like one of their whole third of their time at at best is like just that laborious setup right and even like even like the original star trek it just starts with them on a five-year mission like it's not like they had to like then then you do the new star trek uh with uh chris pine and all them and it's like okay here's kirk as a child and spock as a child and here's what happened to them and here's and it's like and i don't know i'm i'm wondering i don't know if this is a do we is this a thing people are demanding? Like, you know, it's like, I don't, I can't do this without backstory, people. <laughs> it's like, I need well, to understand why. Often the origin stories are these very definitive things about the character so that you really know them as like, you know, they're what drives them and, and, and things yeah. like that. But I just think it's tough because I think it would work honestly better. And, and, and Disney is starting to do this more of like, get that out in the show and then, yeah kind of can we just jump in assuming you know this person i mean they're certainly getting there with the superheroes who've been around long enough where they're like hey it's batman like you don't don't worry about that we all know that yeah but they've done his origin story like three times which one batman Batman, yeah, and right? same I mean, with Spider-Man too. So they kept times. showing like the Spider-Man yeah. thing in different ways. Like, there's no need for this. Um, <laughs> we get it, but it maybe you know maybe what it is 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 part because we are taking beloved. So many things are taking beloved existing characters that maybe part of that is uh, I'm going to show you that I respect every you know you know all this about these characters right um and you you, this has been filled in from in the past things that you've read and seen and all this stuff that's been built around them i'm rebooting these in a way i'm I'm creating bringing this to a new medium new actors new you know want to take it in new directions so maybe this is a way to show you but i know so i'm showing you i know all the backstory and all the things and that's i'm telling you that that's matters here and that laying down that groundwork and it's it's like it's like a sob to the fans of like don't worry i know what you well invest in this i maybe but i actually think it's more that the origin stories generally were like pretty good stories of those Mm. of those characters like they were obviously compelling enough to launch this like 30 year Mm, arc of this character so there's that and then i think it may change because also i think at the beginning when superhero movies um over the past like 15 20 years were still very like you had to sell people on them Mm -hmm. um you kind of had to show like, well, how, oh, this is kind of goofy that this person is a superhero dressed up like this and going around and fighting stuff. So I need to show you how they got there because I yeah. need to kind of take you. And then you'll, then, you know, the, these movies, like, you know, how many millions of people see them. So then they're like, well, now we can just assume you all saw it because it was such a big movie. Um, anyway, but I, but like, true, yeah, a doctor who origin story would be terrible. Right. I mean, that would, that would, well, we saw strict. we saw what happened in the TV movie with Paul McGann when they tried to bring in too much backstory, right? And it's incomprehensible to anyone who would have joined. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is interesting compare today's Marvel movies to the original Superman movie, which is regarded as a classic movie. And I right. remember liking it when I was a kid. But if you rewatch it, it's a mess. It makes really? no sense. They um, uh, it, there's really no plot. It's just like, hey, Superman it shows him growing up and the Fortress of Solitude and. But like the at the beginning of the movie, because I think it was filmed, it was going to be one big movie, but then they broke it into two. And at the beginning of the movie, you see those criminals that show up in Superman 2 and they're like banished. And then you never hear about them again. It's like, why was that huge scene going on? And like It's bizarre. Um, so, you know, yeah. But it was like, hey, he can fly. We made a person fly on screen. So you know, deal with that, everybody. We'll I mean, get to other stuff. <laughs> a little bit later than that, but I remember really loving the first 
the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman. I remember right. really loving that. I haven't seen it in years, so I have no idea how that holds up. But like, I remember really loving that. Um, yeah, that that is funny though. I do remember the first. I didn't really like the super. I never liked Superman that much. So um, yeah, I never really loved the Superman movies. But two I was two was generally people, better. But... People talk about it very reverently. Like all movies made, you know, before like nineteen eighty are all very good, and everything made like in the past five years, it's all terrible. That's what everyone <laughs> must understand. So that's just how it is. Yes, yes, that's the rule. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Origins. All right. Well, we're going to move on to rankings, John. We've ranked 120 uh, yeah, of these. We are crushing it. Stories. We're crushing we are, it. Right we are along. crushing it like uh, like traders in Wall Street or something. Is that what they do? We're going to rank these. It, I think we're going to rank these two more. Yeah, uh, traders in Wall Street. They crush stuff. They, yeah. they, they crush things. The economy. Economy. The poor. Sure. People's <laughs> livelihoods. Democracy. Uh, yeah. The concept of financial equity. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to start off. Uh, I'll start with the doctor's wife. Uh, I like this one. It was. It's kind of a show in a bottle in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, mm-hmm. but I I enjoyed it. I ended up putting it. I, I this is what was taken I, before the episode. I was saying I, I was delayed because I actually just took a long time ranking these. So I considered this <laughs> very specifically. I was going right through the list. Be like, do I like it better than that? No, worse than that. Yeah. Um. So I put it up in the top like quarter or so. I have it right behind mm-hmm. Planet of the Dead and just above Power of the Daleks, the Beast Below. Mm. Um, I have it number 36, I guess that would be. So it's yeah, pretty right. high. That's a good um, one. Yeah. I, I, because yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I liked, I thought the, the woman Idris, uh, did a wonderful job and I thought it was an, it was one that like, one of the things that struck me was like, I would watch it again. Cause I was, I was watching, I was like, I feel like I'm missing stuff as I'm watching yeah. this. I want to like go back and watch it again. Um, and mm-hmm. it's funny finding in retrospect that it was written by Neil Gaiman makes sense because there were also lots of things like where. It was his own separate world. There were weird rules to the world in the asteroid. Yeah. There was those characters on those two characters were weird. And then yeah. nephew later. And there was just like, yeah, it was very interesting. So I wanted to watch it again. So that was good for me. Um, Adventure in Time and Space. I ranked pretty high because yeah. I told you, I just I love stuff like this. So um, I ended up putting it pretty high. I have it ranked 20 oh, um, wow. because good for good for like I said, it's a really compelling story. Uh, well made really very well made the actors are all great and i just it's like it was like watching an an episode of the west wing about the about the origin of <laughs> doctor who it was just very enjoyable so i ranked it number maybe it's a longer series like a 10 part mini series totally i would love that would be great i mean and there's mm-hmm. more tons of like again they could cherry pick from 30 years of oh, the yeah. original doctor who of, of what went on um i put it right uh, behind the Runaway Bride uh, and uh, above Genesis of the Daleks, uh, okay. Human Nature, Family right. Blood, yeah, yeah. But I basically just kept going up. Was like, would I want to watch this more than this? And it kind of just kept going up. I just really liked watching it. So <laughs> pretty high for me. All right, good. I think we're we're kind of in agreement. Um, I've got the Doctor's Wife also very high. I've got it at number twenty one, um, right behind School Reunion because I kind of put it in that um, nostalgic kind of yeah, but also like emotional sort of reading mm. connection kind of thing. Like uh, um. Uh, it is it did i remember it did make me cry uh watching it originally because it was very sweet um and uh um but it's also just a solidly which school reunion did as well um you know because it was significant this meeting was significant in some level right it was a big moment um not one you were expecting you know you expect oh maybe he'll run into sarah jane again oh maybe he'll run into a sentient version of the tower getting less expected but uh still well executed and 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 meaningful um and yeah i enjoyed it and i, I remember actually uh, when i was rewatching it for this um uh I remember, you know, they were they were getting close to the end, and I was like, uh, "Oh wow!" And it went fast. Like I was like, "Oh, I thought there'd be another twenty minutes left." I didn't realize like it moved very quickly. And uh, um, and even though, as you say, there's it's there's not a ton of incident. Like if you had to describe what happened in it, it wouldn't be like this rapid fire incident but they just whatever's happening is very enjoyable and confidently done uh and well acted so i enjoyed that um and then yeah i'm with you i've got adventure space at the time a little lower i've got it at number 36 uh just below Earthshock, around tomb of the siren and um, i think i put it near Earthshock because Earthshock is just Earthshock is a great action movie right that's the fifth doctor cyberman one with adric dies um that's like a, a great competently done action movie it's not maybe the best plot that's ever been on doctor who or whatever but it's just like solidly done as what it is and that's what i see adventure in space and time at right it's just a, it's a 
excellent docudrama. It gets across like these really interesting points with great acting. Um, and it's just a very well done uh, uh, version of it. Uh, you know, I, I probably won't. Re- I do, of course, have it on DVD, obviously. Um, but, you know, I probably won't be constantly rewatching it uh, like some of the other doctors. But, yeah, it's definitely something to revisit. Um, and it did. It did. You know, I, I remember when I was rewatching it for this, I was like a little uncomfortable in the sense that it's like, oh, I don't want to see. I remember I forgot how sad it is for William Hartnell at the end, right? Like yeah. it's very sad. And I was like, oh, I don't. And I was like, oh, but that's good. It means I'm, I'm actually emotionally involved in this. That I'm like actually like feeling bad for the character. And you know, even though I I know it, you know, it's so really and you also do get to see his joy in doing the character and how it really did yeah. kind of brighten up his life for those few years like it really you know yeah kind of brought uh so it's, it's, some it's hope lovely uh, it's a lovely story and, and yeah competently told so that's that's how i get to the uh that's how i get to the old uh earth shock there um so yeah number 20 uh, 30 uh, 30 36 well interestingly enough mm-hmm. when i put them in the old supercomputer here uh we ranked them uh we we almost ranked them in the exact same places but but flip and yeah, so yeah. in the Combined ranking, they end up right next to each other. So twenty four, oh, Doctor's yeah. Rife at twenty four, and Adventure in Time and Space at twenty three. So mm, yeah, near the top. So that was, those are fun ones. Uh, now you guys can see the rankings on MindProbe.show or website. You can also see the watch order if you want to um, go see what we're watching next. Although currently the watch order does not have this episode on it because yeah, yeah somehow yeah. we missed that at the beginning. Um, but I will update that. People, and, it was a lot. Um, okay, <laughs> what's that? It was a lot of effort, people. There's a lot of effort getting that watch order together. That's right. And so you can check check that out. Uh, You can also check out some of the uh, some notes on the episodes uh, for for a lot of them. The last few might not be on there, but there's a ton of really good notes on these episodes in there. And you can also reach out and write us porter at mindprobe.show or john at mindprobe.show and we'd of course love it if you subscribe to the podcast and tell other people about it that's the only way anyone knows about this show like we're gonna keep doing it no matter what because secret, yeah. this is basically just john's opportunity john and i's opportunity to to talk every few weeks yeah. uh, but we'd love it if more people listen to the show i mean like can tell them hey i listen to this doctor who uh, uh podcast there's 60 episodes you can listen to I yeah mean, come on yeah Come on. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, what's the point of going on with life? But then you're like, oh, well, there's 60 episodes of this. That'll, that'll keep yeah. going. It could save lives, this podcast. That's right. It'll at least you extend know. you for about uh, a few days there, you know? Yeah, right? If you just kept listening. Uh, um, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, interestingly, so um, I appeared as, as, a, as longtime loyal listeners will know on the Hidden History Happy Hour with Brian and Alex podcast. Um, uh, that's been going for um, a, a couple months now. Um, um, and they are in the top 5% of uh, all podcasts uh, in terms oh, of go. listeners. Um, so that has not yet um, uh, rubbed off on us. I don't know. How, I, I, maybe maybe it was, you know, maybe I, I'd, I'd like to think that it was Paul who tipped them into the 5%, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. us, they wouldn't be there. <laughs> so Paul, thank you for, for doing that for, for our friends over there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you got to, you got to, you know, again, we're not going to tell people. We're too humble too to humble. tell people. How great this uh, this podcast is! Although you know, I did think at the awesome con, I was like, ah, I'd be, maybe I should. No, actually, you know what I should have done is that awful thing that people in audiences do. Uh, when so I went to the Q and A with uh, Sylvester McCoy, and I should have raised my hand and then spent five minutes going. Uh, I just wanted to. I am a, a podcaster. Uh, no, not the Mind Probe. Mind Probe dot show, uh, and then spent all the time talking about, it, and then at the end, been like, uh, also, um, uh, Sylvester. But my, my question is, uh, do you like hats or something? Yeah, just, <laughs> just well, yes. Terrible, it's awful. Mode. But what you're describing is that is how people actually find out about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, what are we what are we looking forward right. to on the next episode of this here podcast? Let's move on. So um, we're back on to things that uh, I did program correctly or I did order correctly. Uh, so next up is a two parter: uh, the Rebel Flesh and the Almost a People. Um, it's another the next line in the line of Matt Smith, and it leads into. Uh, the mid-season finale, um, which will come after that, obviously. Um, so uh, a couple, uh, a, a bumper uh, double adventure. And um, since we're talking about duplicates and um, of people, uh, we're going to look at the terror of the Autons, um, which brings back our friends, the Autons, obviously, uh, which we saw on Spearhead from Space and in Rose, uh, who, uh, who you know, often can disguise themselves as, as other people. And um, uh, we also see the first appearance of the Master, uh, Porter's favorite character. Yeah. Um, the very first, uh, the very first time the Master appears in the very first Joe Grant uh, story. So a lot of a lot of firsts uh, in this uh, in this third Doctor uh, tale, Terror of the Autons. 
All right. Well, John, uh, it is, uh, you know, when we look forward, who is going to play us in the biopic? Uh, uh, you know, about about the known on the mind probe, how it got off the ground and then rocketed to stardom. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's a good question. Who would play me? I hope that I would hope that in in the future of our woke casting, uh, the casting would be gender and race blind. Oh yes, and that, like that. you know I might be played by um, I don't know um, 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 Pink. Yeah, I sure. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> when she, myself when she goes into drama. That's more of a Naomi Campbell. So I mm. see myself. Well, here's yeah. to our ultimate biopic, John. And here's to the future. Uh, here's to you meeting more doctors. Like you're up to one doctor a week. At this pace, yeah. right now, you're at one doctor a week. So I think we could extend this and you could knock out all these other doctors in just a couple I gotta, months. I got to get these doctors out. Yeah, I like it. I like it. How can we? All right. Who else comes to any cons? Does, does Peter? Well, they all do. Your, they all do. Yeah, they all do. Their, some are bigger than others. But uh, um, so it turns out, so like to get the autograph and selfie, I paid 80 bucks. Um, and did they get that by every person? I think he does, or he good. There, there's companies that run these things. But yeah, if you multiply that by all the people, then yeah. And so, uh, and Peter Quality, I think, got like 100, 120 bucks. And then I, you know, I just got a picture with him. I couldn't even get signed, and that was, you know, that was awesome. So yeah, I think, I think they come because they just rake in the cash. Um, uh, and you can tell, like, Sylvester McCoy was excellent, uh, excellent raconteur. Uh, a number of them we've seen, like, they're very good at being engaging. Uh, he actually got off the stage and just walked around with a microphone and answered questions from people and you know like he's clearly can convey he, he answers the same question that people that people are like what's your favorite story and he like he still conveys like he's thinking about it and oh I, good question and then, like, <laughs> said, like, he's or you get people who are a little strange or a little not great at the social interaction who ask or questions you aren't quite sure he understands and he can very quickly find some book to be to, to answer to go into an anecdote and not make the person uncomfortable and not make her so they're very good at it so they clearly enjoy the circuit and he said he his first convention when he first cast the doctor so he's been doing it for 40 years and yeah and that's the future for us and all of us and the rest of <laughs> mindprobe.show